Welcome to this message from Shofar Christian Church. May you experience God's grace as you listen to this word being preached. Um, for, for those of you who do not know who I am, um, my name is Louis. My sermon name is May, as of next month, May. Um, many people have a lot of jokes with that. Um, so, um, but I, I am by occupation, I'm a filmmaker. So, so this is very far and widespread from what I do on a daily, but it really is a blessing and a privilege to, to speak about something that um, is such a strange concept for us um, in, in the daily, and it's, it's resurrection. You know, it's not necessarily the word we, we use daily, like, you know, that something's been resurrected. It's, it's just not a normal thing for us. Um, you know, and, and I think whether you are a Christian or not, um, you know, you, you might have somewhere in your lifetime heard of the story of Jesus. Um, you know, you might have heard of what Easter is more or less about, and you really love the public holidays, um, you know, but many people actually believe or are quite skeptic about the, the existence of Jesus, not just the story of Jesus, but Jesus as a man in the historical context. And you, you might be shocked by that, but the Church of England did a survey in 2015, and the results came back that 22% of England believed that Jesus never existed, that he was just a legendary character that was never real. Um, and if you side with one of those perspectives, I almost want to say you should reconsider that this morning. Uh, not because I say, say so, because even the most skeptical historians agree on the evidence that Jesus, the Messiah, lived. Um, and I want to give a quick background. We, we have two like historians who were not Christians, funny enough. Um, their names were Tacitus and Josephus. The one was a, a non-Christian Roman and the other was a Jewish uh, man. And, and these people wrote letters to their individual. The Roman guy wrote to the Romans, and the other guy wrote to the Jews. But within these letters, we find these beautiful pieces of gems that actually confirm a whole lot that stands in the Gospels. And I'm going to just name a few things which we can see from these sources in history. Um, so by the, those letters, we know that Jesus existed as a man that his personal name was Jesus. He's, he was called Christos in Greek, which means Messiah. He had a brother named James. He won, he won over both Jews and Greeks, that Pilate rendered the decision that he should be executed. His execution was specifically by crucifixion, and he was executed during Pontius Pilate's governorship over Judea. And so one of the historians sort of ends his foundings with the following words after looking at all this evidence. And he says, These abundant historical references leave us with little reasonable doubt that Jesus lived and died. The more interesting question, which goes beyond history and objective fact, is whether Jesus died and lived. And I think that's what I really want to talk about today on Easter Sunday, is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Um, and I'm going to just pray for us before I just read the scripture. 
Um, yeah, let's really trust the Holy Spirit to, to guide us this morning. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for this morning, Lord. Thank you for this Resurrection Sunday, Lord, this Easter Sunday where we get to speak about, Lord, not only your cross, Lord, not only your sacrifice, Lord Jesus, but your victory, your resurrection, Lord. And Holy Spirit, we just just commit this word into your hands, Lord. We pray that you would steward it, Lord God, that every single word, Lord, that is spoken this morning will be guided by your Spirit, Lord. Open up our hearts to receive, Lord, this word openly, Lord Jesus, and may it change us and transform us, Lord, and may it bear fruit, as your word says, 30, 60, and 90-fold, Lord. We thank you so much for that. Amen. So we're going to read out of John 20, verse 11 to 18. Just before we read that, if you have your Bibles, you can, you can go to that verse so long. Um, and as you're looking for it, I just want to give us some quick context of John 20. So John 20 kicks off, it says, on the first day of the week, uh, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb. And, and so on the first day of the week, in biblical times, the first day of the week was a Sunday. It was not the Monday. And that's why we celebrate a Sunday as Resurrection Sunday. And so first day of the week, it's still dark, Mary goes to the tomb. And Mary arrives at the tomb, and the tomb is empty. Um, and as you can imagine, she freaks out and runs back and fetches Peter and the beloved of Jesus, the beloved uh, disciple of Jesus, which we assume is John. And uh, John and Peter then runs to the tomb. Both of them enter the tomb, and they also see that the tomb is empty. And John and Peter then leaves. And this is where we sort of jump into the story in verse 11. And we're going to start reading for us from there. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying, And as she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. And at this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. And he asked her, Woman, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. And Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. And Jesus said, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God And your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. And so, in the start of verse 11, we, we, if you read the whole John 20, we see the same with John and Peter. Um, It says that Mary stooped down, the one translation says she stooped down, this one says she bent down and looked into the tomb. And in a, in a sort of a symbolic sense, I want us to do the same this morning, is really bend down and, and look into the tomb and to see for ourselves that the tomb is empty this morning. Um, and, and to sort of look at the evidence that, that Mary saw, that Peter saw, that John saw, and to really truly believe that the tomb is empty. And, um, 
and the way I really want to discuss the, the resurrection this morning is through four points. Um, and, and they're called the historic reality of the resurrection, the spiritual reality, the personal reality, and the practical reality. So historic, spiritual, personal, and practical. And I'll start with the first point. Um, I've mentioned a little bit earlier of previous facts uh, regarding the life of Jesus, his existence, his crucifixion, his death. But very, I, I, I actually didn't know until I had to research this, but there is actually a whole lot of evidence around the, the empty tomb and the resurrection of Christ. And uh, the, one of the first um, historic facts we have is called the Jerusalem Factor. And, and why it's called the Jerusalem Factor is because we know that through history and, and through all these different sources that Jesus was essentially crucified just outside of Jerusalem and was buried in Jerusalem. Um, and, and the Jerusalem, Jerusalem factor kicks in is where the resurrection of Christ, the preaching of the resurrection of Christ, started in Jerusalem itself. And you might wonder why is that significant, and it is significant because if the resurrection of Christ started in Jerusalem and Jesus was buried in Jerusalem, it would have been so quickly, it would have been so easy to refute the actual truth that the tomb is empty. Um, and so, you know, a lot of people had a whole bunch of um, arguments against the empty tomb. But until today, the resurrection of Christ is preached. And therefore, the, the, the preaching of the resurrection of Christ starting Jerusalem was actually one of the biggest historical facts we have. One of the second ones, and probably one of the main ones, um, that historians look to is the testimony of women. Um, and so... Just to give some quick context, the test that women did in fact have a voice in the in the court of law, um, but their testimony was extremely questionable. So if you had a very serious case, a very you know important case, and you really had to get your witnesses to the stand to have everyone believe what you are trying to state, a woman would be your last resort. She would literally be maybe your seventh or your eighth eyewitness because if she was your first, your chance of being believed was very, very small. And so a lot of people say that the story of the resurrection was made up, but funny enough, in all four Gospels, a woman is said to be the first eyewitness of, of the risen Christ. And, um, and this, this really baffles historians because the only reason, you know, the disciples put it like this is if it was the truth. Because if they really made up the story, um, they would have never chosen a woman to be the first eyewitness. And then the second one, or the third one, is Jesus' hidden body. Um, a lot of people believe until today that the disciples stole Jesus' body and hid it away. Um, and, and that, you know, that makes a lot of sense if you think about it. But the question is, why would these disciples from the resurrection of Christ be willing to die in the most brutal ways we can think of for a story they made up, for a, for a lie um, which they sort of just materialized and said, this is what happened. And this wasn't just the disciples. I mean, we saw... 
We have seen people in the history of Christianity, even until today, dying for the truth that Jesus is alive. And you might wonder why are we focusing so much on the history of the resurrection and all these things, but Romans 6 verse 9 says, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And I really want to nail this point through, like God raised him. We have to believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead. Then you will be saved. And it's, it's a very tough task to believe that, you know, that Jesus has been risen, to believe it in our hearts, but not believe it historically, not believe it in our hearts, not believe it in our minds. And, um, and, and I think this is a very encouraging thing, that we have evidence that there is an empty tomb. There is an empty tomb. There is no Jesus in that tomb. And I, I, I really pray that we decide to believe that this morning. That really becomes a reality for us. And I want to ask the question, is Jesus' resurrection a true historical reality for you? And have I bent down and looked into that tomb the same way Mary did to study the fact that Jesus is the risen king. And, um, and Paul sort of, you know, does something quite similar in 1 Corinthians 15. He presents in this public letter to the Corinthians, this is public knowledge, when he speaks to the Corinthians and he says to them, for what I have received I passed on to you as of first importance. Paul is saying, like, what I'm going to share with you now is probably on top of my list of important things. He says that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the Twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living. And then he goes on to say he appears to John and the apostles and so Paul is, is speaking to the Corinthian church, and Paul feels it is necessary to present them with this eyewitness account of evidence of the risen king. And, and why does he do it? It's because Paul understands if there is no historic reality, then there's no spiritual reality. And, and, and Paul sort of you know, takes a, a, a negative sense, and he says, like, what if the historic reality of Jesus' resurrection is not true? And he explains to the Corinthian church of what would the spiritual reality be if Jesus was never risen from the dead. And he goes on in verse 13 and says, If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. And then those who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. And... So Paul is, is basically saying, if I had to paraphrase it this morning, is if Jesus is not risen, we can all go home. There's no point in me calling myself a Christian, or he says our faith, our preaching, everything is useless without the resurrection of Christ. He says, he names another thing, he says that if Jesus was not risen, he says that we are still stuck in our sins. There's been no change. And the other thing he says, like, like all our loved ones, all the apostles, all the martyrs, Tani Marian, if Jesus is not risen, they are all lost. 
makes such a huge statement and he places all of that on the weight and the shoulders of the resurrection of Christ. And, and the resurrection is at the heart of everything for the Christian. It is justification, transformation, eternal life, eternal security. The, the power uh, that which raised him from the dead is applied to our lives through the resurrection. And the spiritual reality is that Jesus died for our sins and he was raised for our justification. That raised has to be there. And, and so, you know, you might, you might be convinced through the historic reality of the resurrection of Christ and, you, you know, and that then instantly makes it a spiritual reality. And I think that's what we know, right? Whether you believe it or not, just because I say this chair is not here doesn't mean it isn't. It's still standing here. And the resurrection of Christ is a historic reality, and it is a spiritual reality. But the thing that changes us is, is it a personal reality for us? And I would like to go back to John 20 from verse 11. It's you know, reading again from Mary. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. And as she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. And they asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said. I don't know where they have put him. And at this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. I, I almost, um, you know, I want to explain that, you know, Mary, the, both the angels and Jesus asks Mary the same question. Why are you crying? That might come across very harsh, like, you know, but I think for us, Mary in Luke 8 is freed from, it says, seven different demons. She, Jesus frees her and sets her free of seven different demons. And since then, she follows the Lord. He becomes her Lord and Savior. And here the one who has freed her has died. And she's crying. And, and that makes sense to us. We, we, we relate to that as people. But though the angels and Jesus ask the same question, like, why are you crying? And I, I can't help to think, but because... The disciples plus Mary should have known that Jesus was going to raise from the dead. Jesus was not careful about speaking and prophesying his resurrection, even to the extent that even the Pharisees accept, expected that Jesus could raise from the dead. In Matthew 27, and I never even knew this scripture existed, it says the Pharisees are coming to Pontius Pilate and says, Sir, we remember how that imposter said, he, while he was still alive, after three days I will rise. Therefore order the tomb to be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples go and steal him away and tell the people, he has risen from the dead and the last fraud will be worse than the first. And so Pilate said, you have a guard of soldiers, go make it as secure as you can. So they went and made the tomb secure. Um, so even the Pharisees expected, like, there's a chance. 
But Mary walks into this tomb and Mary is weeping and the angels ask, why are you crying? And the response is, and I, I don't know where they, like they've taken my Lord away and I don't know where they've put him. The one, ex, the one translation says, I don't know where they've laid him. And then it's, it's really beautiful right after that it says that, and she turned around and Jesus was standing. Mary is looking for a laid Christ. She's looking for a Christ that's been carried away by people, a dead body, and Jesus is standing. And I think the question for us this morning is, has the resurrection of Christ become a personal reality for every single one of us? And how many things do we, you know, we stand at the tomb and we are crying and we're like, Jesus, where are you? Where have you put him? But Jesus is standing right behind us. He is alive. And, and she turns around and Jesus then asks, Woman, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? And Jesus is not, Jesus is not playing dumb. Like, he means like, who are you looking for? Are you looking for me? Or are you looking for my body? Are you looking for the dead Christ? Are you looking for the one that I said would never be there? Like I said I would be raised from the dead. I said I would go back to my father. I, I gave you these promises, but yet you're still looking for the dead Jesus. And Jesus says, who are you looking for? And I, I want to just explain the scripture. It says that she turned around and saw Jesus standing. Right? She's looking right at Jesus. And then she says, sir, if you have carried him away. And, and I think we just, I just want to imagine this for us. She's actually walking past Jesus as she's saying this. It says, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. Because the next verse when Jesus calls her by name and he says, Mary, he says, it says Mary turned around again. So the first turning, she didn't realize Jesus. She walked right past him. But when Jesus called her by name, she turned around and she instantly, instantly understood who he was. She understood that he was the risen Christ. And, and, you know, Paul, like I read, I read that scripture. Paul says, if you believe in your heart that God has raised Jesus from the dead, you will be saved. And the resurrection is personal. Jesus not only died for us, but he was resurrected for us. We have a, a living high priest, a living mediator in heaven an intercessor, a bridegroom who is alive. You know, and, and Mary responds and says, Rabunai, teacher. And then I, just mourning, like, I really, I really feel like the Lord is calling each and every one of us by name. He's calling my name, He's calling yours. Up until that point, before Mary realized that Jesus was resurrected, it was woman, woman. But when she was walking out, Jesus called Mary. And I think only as the Lord calls us by name can we respond and say, I have seen Christ, as she says to the disciples. And I think the other beautiful part is, you know, she says to Jesus, just tell me where you've put him and I will go fetch him. And it, sometimes I think we, we also approach things like that, like just tell me where Jesus is and I will go find him. 
But this explains who Jesus is. It says that he came to her. Jesus approached her. We don't have to go find the Lord. He comes to us and he calls us by name. John 14 says, like, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so if the resurrection of Christ is for us, then so is his death. There is only a resurrection if there is death. If I am half dead, I cannot be called resurrected. There has to be no pulse in order for a resurrection to be a reality. And, and what are the areas which we are fighting to keep alive, which the Lord is actually saying, let it die, because unless you let it die, I can resurrect it. Unless there is death, I can't resurrect it. And we forget that as Christians, we tend to defend, we tend to start on the back foot, like, Lord, thank you so much that you've forgiven my sins. Thank you so much that you have set me free on the cross. And we defend, and we constantly stand. The enemy attacks us with condemnation and, and all these things, and we just stand and defend, and we forget that the Lord didn't just die for us, but he was raised from the dead for us. And that is victory. That was God's offensive game plan and so if our God has won why do we act as if we are losing and so I want to encourage us this morning to stand not only on the death and the crucifixion of Christ and what he's done for us on the cross but to also take one step forward and now stand in the victory of the resurrection of Christ Because I think the, you know, the reality is that we are lost. We are a lost cause without Jesus. And, and our flesh has been affected to the extent where it will go to death anyways. We will die. But you do not want to die from that. Jesus says, like, if you die, I offer you new life. A new living hope. Dead to sin, alive in Christ. If only we believed that his resurrection and his victory is personal. That it's not just out there, but it's for us as well. Jesus responds to Mary and says, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I've seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. So Mary has this huge revelation of seeing Jesus as the risen Christ. And Jesus responds in saying, don't hold on to me. And what is Jesus saying? He's saying, don't hold on to the physical part of me. Because this is so much bigger than just my physical body being resurrected. Because what I am about to do through this resurrection is so much bigger. And he instantly then gives Mary this command. He gives her a purpose. He gives her a message and says, I am ascending to my Father and your Father. To my God and your God. And I don't think there's any mistake 
of why Jesus chose Mary. Because what Mary didn't even understand in that moment, that Mary was carrying the power of resurrection in her in that moment. Jesus set her free of seven demons. And here the Lord says, I am trusting you with the message to go tell my disciples that I am alive. Why? Because her life was a living testimony of the resurrection of Christ. And, and I think that's the reality, that's the practical reality for us. When it becomes personal, it has to become practical. You see, Jesus leaves us with the most personal message this morning, and he says that he has ascended to his Father and our Father, to his God and our God. And this is the gospel. God restores fully. His work in us not only does half, but it goes full circle. He not only leads us to die to sin, but he then raises us to life in him. And many of you have experienced that resurrection power in your life. Many of you have seen the Lord take you, save the unsavable in your life. Many of you have seen the Lord pull you out of the, the depths of the ocean and, and set you on a solid rock. And the question is, do you proclaim that message? Do you speak freely about, I have seen the risen Christ. I've seen it happen in my life. Or are you still like Mary, looking for that dead body? Are you still looking for the dead Jesus where he has risen? C.S. Lewis says, I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen. Not only because I see it, but because by it I see everything else. And the resurrection is not just, like I said, it's not just personal, but it has to become practical. It has to become a lens by which we view every single day, every single part of life. And if the band can please come up for me. And some of us really need the Lord's resurrection in our lives this morning. All of us need the resurrection this morning. Might be a resurrection in relationships, in holiness, in purity. Jesus has resurrected our past. He has redeemed it and restored it. So let's stop weeping and then being so blinded by the tears and the hystericalness of the death. And let's see Jesus risen this morning. And I feel like the Lord is almost asking every single one of us this morning, why are you crying? Why are you crying as if you have no hope? Why are you crying as if I never said that I will rise from the dead? He promises in his word that he has forgiven us. He promises that there is freedom. He promises that we are his children. He promises those things, and he seals that promise with the resurrection. And Romans 4.21 says that what God has promised, he has the power to perform. I mentioned earlier that the, Lord, the Lord's work in our lives goes full circle. 
It is not a, he doesn't do a half job, he completes it. It says that the work he has started, he will, he will continue even until the day that Jesus comes. And that full circle for us as Christians, like he not only forgives us, but he empowers us through the Holy Spirit to be holy. He not only saves us, but gives us eternal life. He not only freed us from the kingdom of darkness, but he has brought us into his marvelous light. He didn't just adopt us as sons and daughters, but he gave us an inheritance with that. He didn't just ascend to the Father, but he sent his Holy Spirit to be with us until he comes again. And what I'm seeing when I read these things, I see, I see a God that gives above and beyond of what we deserve. He not only gives so freely, but he even adds on to that and gives even more. I think for us this morning, we can, we can stand and say, Lord, you died for us on the cross as if that was not enough. As if that sacrifice was not enough. You could have just freed us from our sins and said, I've done enough, you're on your own. But he was resurrected for us. He never had to die. He never had to be resurrected. All of that was for us. Lord, thank you for, for the resurrection work, Lord, that you have done in our lives, Lord. Thank you that it is, that it is alive, Lord, that it is working in us. That we are not, Lord, that we are not lost, Lord. We follow a living God, a God that is alive. We thank you, Lord, for living relationships, Lord. We thank you, Lord, for open eyes to the resurrection, Lord, of your Holy Spirit in our lives, Lord. We pray, Lord, for boldness in our hearts, Lord, boldness to go out as Mary did and to, to say, this is what the Lord has said to me. I have seen the risen Christ. We pray, Lord, that you would purify your bride, Lord, purify your children, Lord Jesus, that we would truly shine, Lord, the light of your resurrection to the world, Lord. We are no longer dead, but we are alive, Lord. We thank you for that. Thanks for listening to this message from Shofar Joburg. May the grace you receive produce God's greatest glory and your greatest good. For more information and sermons, please visit our website at www.shofar.joburg.com.